The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Support for this show comes from 1440 Multiversity a state-of-the-art learning destination in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. 1440 Multiversity offers weekend and five-day programs in mindfulness, leadership, well-being, and more. Learn more at 1440.org. From Spirituality and Health magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. John Duyard. Dr. Yard is a globally recognized leader in the fields of natural health, Ayurveda, and sports medicine. He's the creator of LifeSpa.com, the leading Ayurvedic health and wellness resource on the web. Dr. John's essay, Why, When, and How to Eat Wheat, appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Dr. John Duyard, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you very much. Good to be here. It's nice to have you here. I've got a lot of questions about this that are personal. I won't fill the whole 20 minutes with them. I was diagnosed with celiac disease decades ago. So I have, you know, I haven't had wheat in a very long time and I'm definitely not not about to start uh, eating it again. But a lot of people are not celiac who just avoid wheat because they're avoiding gluten. And I want to get into all that stuff. But before we do, I, I think our listeners will be really helped and informed, if you could give us a sense of what Ayurvedic medicine is and how you got into it. Well, Ayurveda, Ayur means life, Veda means knowledge or science. So it's the science of life. It's a study of the cycles and the rhythms and the plants of nature. It's India's traditional system of medicine, much like Chinese medicine is the Chinese traditional system of medicine. And um, what I do here at LifeSpa.com is I take the ancient principles of Ayurveda or other systems of medicine that are around for a thousand years, and then I prove them with modern science. I try to find the science to back up these principles, making sort of, in my mind, if something has been around for a thousand years and you can find science to back it up, we should at least take a look at that. If you can find something from scientific studies alone. You can find coffee's good, coffee's bad, soy's good, soy's bad. You can really prove whatever you want. So I think that there's a, that, uh, there's a lot of interest in people having some time-tested wisdom that is backed by science. And that's what I write about at, you know, on our website at lifespa.com. And I am deeply passionate about traditional systems of medicine and deeply passionate about science. So I put the two together and that's what I do. 
So did you have a, a Western science background? Are, are you an MD? No, uh, you know, I'm yeah. a I'm a chiropractor. And then uh, I, and I went to India in 1986 for a three-week vacation, ended up staying there for a year and a half and studied their traditional system of medicine, did postgraduate training there. Uh, I met Deepak Chopra in India in 1986, came back and ran his center for eight years and trained medical doctors. I've been in the Ayurvedic kind of teaching uh, medical doctors and medical professionals uh, alternative health care for about 35 years. So you came to this while you were, I don't know if I want to say while you're on vacation, but while you're on vacation, is that, is that well, sort I went of there, I went there to see if I could study Ayurvedic medicine. Oh, okay. I was really interested and I ended up, it was sort of like a long extended vacation. I didn't expect to stay. I closed my practice in Boulder on a scratchy phone from New Delhi and basically came back a year and a half later and, and that changed my life. So that's what I wanted to know is what attracted you to this? I mean, you went all the way to India to see if you could learn about it. So what, I mean, I mean, yeah, what, I mean, you read something, you experienced it somehow. What drew you in that direction? Well, I was into natural medicine. I was studying Chinese medicine at the time. I heard the word Ayurveda and something clicked inside of my head that I just needed to know more about it. And because it was something that was more deeply connected to nature and the rhythms of nature, and it also was helping the body become more balanced. And it also had an understanding of spirituality and full human potential. And I was writing a book called Body, Mind, Sport about how to achieve the, the runner's high way back when. And, and I was fascinated by full human potential. And, and this system of medicine actually taught me how to, how to nose breathe during exercise. And we did brainwave research on that and published a book on it. And I was just blown away and fascinated by what I was learning uh, from this really ancient traditional medicinal science. So what did, what did the, the brain studies show you about nose breathing during exercise? Well, we found that when people breathe through their mouth, <gasps> huffing and puffing as they run, their brain goes into a fight or flight beta response, which is a stress response. When you actually breathe through your nose, you actually breathe into the lower lobes of your lungs quite naturally, and that's where the parasympathetic receptors are. It activates a parasympathetic rest and rejuvenate response, and the brain literally slipped into an alpha state and a brainwave state of coherence as if you were in a meditation. So we actually published this study and found that when you nasal breathe, you can actually perform vigorous levels of activity with a brainwave pattern as if you were meditating. And I call it the eye of the hurricane effect. The bigger the eye, the bigger the calm you can establish in your life, the more powerful the winds, the more productive you are. The idea is like my best race is my easiest race. Billie Jean King, who did the forward to my first book, Body, Mind, and Sport, said I would transport myself beyond the turmoil of the court to a place of total peace and calm. And I was totally fascinated by the runner's high thing. And I did that's when I got into the nose breathing and did the research on it. We published a study saying, yeah, you can achieve the runner's high by actually getting your body to be dynamically active without the emergency fight or flight, break your body down to build your body up response. And that's, we still live the no pain, no gain credo to this day. But you know, our study years ago found science to say that you can actually find effortless exercise, peace of mind, rebuild your body without breaking your body down through the proper kind of exercise. So let me get this straight, because if I ever decide to exercise, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do a lot of um, stationary bike, you know, when mm -hmm. I go to the gym, yeah. but I'm, I'm always breathing through my mouth. It never occurred to me to breathe through my nose. So just that simple switch, I, I should try that. I, I, if I do that, I should look for some um, 
I guess, a different sense of what's going on while I'm exercising? For sure. If you have to open up your mouth, you're in an emergency state. If you can breathe and maintain that rhythm with your exercise by using your nose, breathing deeply in and deeply out, and we like to, like to use the ujjayi exhalation through the nose as you exhale, which creates a, a, an abdominal contraction, and that abdominal contraction causes an abdominal diaphragmatic cardiac massage, which triggers a, the vagus nerve on your heart to tell your brain, this is not an emergency. The brain flips into a coherent alpha state, and you're in a meditative calm during vigorous exercise. We proved that again and again and again. Um, and there's tons of, like, I can give you all kinds of, like, strategies and ways to make sure ensure your success. But you can also read, go to my website at lifespot.com and just type in nose breathing exercise and you'll get all kinds of articles and free videos of how to do it. Wow. Okay. I will check that out. Yeah, last question. Last question about nose breathing. Okay. Uh, it, do you feel it's connected to like pranayama, that kind of breath work? Totally. And I was fascinated by pranayama and the, and the effect of breathing and, um, and that's when I was like, well, you know, why can't we do that? What would happen if we did that during vigorous activity? The idea of, you know, keeping meditating, doing yoga, breathing, meditation, creating that stillness and that silence when you're meditating is one thing. But what about when your eyes are open? How do you take that calm with you into your life? And I said, well, athletes do it. My best race is my easiest race. Why can't we have it while we're exercising and use that as a model for handling stress in your life? So you have it all day long, all the time. That was the premise of the Body Mind Sport book that I wrote was to say, hey, we can create that comment, not just on the yoga mat, not just in the meditation, but all day long. You breathe 26,000 times a day. Let's have it all the time. Wow. So when I'm at the gym, I watch CNN, Fox, and MSNBC simultaneously. Usually I'm breathing through my mouth, yelling at the stupid screens. But this way, I'll have to learn how to scream through my nose. <laughs> just yeah. so I can, I can get my frustrations out. Or, or maybe least, I shouldn't. At least maybe watch I shouldn't the, watch TV. <laughs> at least watch the one that's at least stressful to you, which <laughs> is late. very difficult. There's, yeah, days. there's none that aren't stressful to me anymore. Exactly. All right. That's, it's really fascinating. So the, the next question is something you wrote that uh, on the website that I guess really dovetails into what you're talking about. You call Ayurveda the uh, sister science of yoga. Yeah. So how does Ayurveda, how do you understand, how can I unpack that or unpack that for me? Well, they are sister science. They evolve together. Um, they are, you know, Ayurveda is a sister medicine for the body. And, and to help bring the body back into balance so the mind can be and the body can be more clear and more self-aware. If your body's stressed out and out of balance, you have no clarity and no self-awareness. So Ayurveda was a system, the Vedic science, to bring the body into balance so the mind could create more clarity and awareness. Yoga was a physical science that was designed to help the body be union. That's what it means, the ability right. to be dynamically active in a yoga posture, but at the same time still and calm mentally. That idea of, you know, alpha waves during vigorous activity is a form of yoga, dynamic activity and silence at the same time, the coexistence of opposites, the eye of the hurricane and the storm all at the same time. And so yoga is that physical science to get the body to experience the science physically. Ayurveda sets the body up to experience it, you know, in a, in a, you know, in the body, putting the two together, gives you the ability to have the awareness to see more clearly what you're crazy mind is conjured up in the name of protective patterns of behavior and take transformational action to free yourself from those patterns of behavior. Everything Vedic has to do with transformation. So whether it be the body or the mind or the, or the yoga or Ayurveda, you're talking about tools to access heightened awareness, 
to support transformation. Mm. Okay, I've got a million questions I could ask you about this stuff, but I'm going to move on because we're halfway <laughs> through the conversation Crazy. and we haven't talked about wheat yet. <laughs> so we need we need to do that. So what what's your before we get to the the nitty gritty? What's your general sense on uh, people avoiding gluten as like the plague, whether they have celiac disease or not? I think people have found gluten, wheat, guilty without a fair trial. Reality is, and I totally get them. People eat wheat, they feel bad. I totally, totally get that. I, I'm in practice working with people with digestion. That's what I specialize in every single day. And my experience was that if you can take people eat off of wheat, they feel better for three months, then they come back and the problems are back. They get off of something else, they feel better, it comes back. Taking the stuff out of the diet is not the solution. The science is very, very clear and very, very confusing because people think that all the science shows that wheat is just poison. But the reality is that the science of whole wheat, the stuff you get out of the ground, actually lowers the risk of Alzheimer's disease in 53% in the Mediterranean diet, 54% in the mind diet, which is three servings of whole wheat and whole grains per day, lowers the risk of diabetes and study after study after study. And one study, a big study just recently published, measured 193,000 people. And the people with the highest intake of gluten in that study had the lowest rates of diabetes. People with the lowest rates of gluten had the highest rates of diabetes. The interesting thing is that we've been eating wheat for three and a half million years, according to studies finding from plaque in the teeth of ancient humans, not 10, 12,000 years. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Studies show that these harder-to-digest grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans, they are hard to digest, and because they're hard to digest, they trigger an immune response inside of our intestinal tract. So globally, just saying, you know what, I feel bad when I eat wheat, take it out. I feel bad when I eat dairy, take it out. I feel bad when I eat this, and or all of grains or all of beans, I take them out. We did that with bugs, with bacteria. We said, okay, antibacteria, everything. Put it on your skin, antibacterial soap, kill every bug you can possibly find, and that turned out to be a really, really bad idea. The Western microbiome is devoid of diversity, which is causing immune compromise. Studies show when you take grains out of your diet, and wheat in particular, this is interesting, and you as a celiac, and I get it, your celiac, one to three percent of the population have celiac, they shouldn't be eating wheat. But celiac folks have a difficult time getting their nutritional needs met, and you probably have seen that study. One study showed that people with celiac have four times as much mercury in their blood as people who eat wheat. And they, and they compared that with three groups. One group was celiac eating a gluten-free uh, gluten diet. One group diagnosed with celiac hadn't started the gluten-free diet yet. And one group was non-celiac and eating wheat. And the group that had the celiac and was eating this, the, the gluten-free diet had four times as much mercury in their blood. In another study, people who ate wheat had, had significantly more good bugs and less bad bugs in their gut than people who were gluten-free. In another study, and these were healthy people, they found people who actually were gluten-free, this whole, you know, gluten-free because I want to lose weight kind of thing, they found that those people had significantly less killer T cells in their bloodstream 
and people who actually ate wheat, suggesting that wheat and other hard-to-digest grains, which have anti-nutrients on them, that have really good science, so they're actually quite beneficial for us, they are very important immune stimulation for our intestinal tract. So let me let me this. jump in. Let me just yeah. jump in for a second because you were talking about people who uh, they don't they they ate wheat. They didn't feel good. They got off wheat for three months. They felt better. They went back on it. They felt worse again. So what was the real problem? Great question. When they took cholesterol out of our diet, 1960, they replaced it with with basically cooked, leached, deodorized, boiled omega six fatty acids, polyunsaturated fatty acids, which became preservatives. If you look at your loaf of bread on the grocery store, you're going to see it's going to say cooked. Sunflower oil, staffflower oil, expeller pressed canola oil, those are preservatives. They will keep the bread squishy on the shelf for a long time. Every packaged food uh, has these oils in them as preservatives. They lowered cholesterol, but they actually raised heart disease. Nobody figured that out until more recently. Now we know that the cholesterol, these, these, these polyunsaturated fatty acids, these omega-6 fatty acids, are literally congestive to the liver and the gallbladder, the number one surgery in America today, abdominal electric surgery in America today, is gallbladder surgery. It's an epidemic. And when you can't produce, uh, when you have gallbladder issues or bileful issues, that's the kingpin of your digestive process. Your bile, like a Pac-Man gobbling up all kinds of toxins in your liver and your intestinal tract, if that's congested because these processed foods, it's going to not be available to buffer the acid in your stomach. Your stomach says, I got to eat this ham sandwich or whatever it is, this wheat, and I need a whole bunch of acid to do it, I need a bunch of bile. To, I need an insurance policy here to let me know there's bile down there to buffer this acid. If it's not there, I'm not making the acid. Over time, we slowly stop making the acid we need to cook the wheat, to cook the dairy, to cook the grains, to cook the nuts and the seeds. So we say, well, you feel bad eating them, take them out of your diet. And that's what happened. So the and, diet itself is uh, not necessarily toxic, but the diet itself is off. And therefore, and, but we just blame it on wheat uh, rather than look at the whole, sure. the whole system. Sure, I mean, simple answer, it's processed foods that mm. have directly oh, okay. linked to the gluten intolerance. And here's the crazy part. The $16 billion a year gluten-free industry, guess what they're giving us in replacement for whole wheat, whole bread? Highly processed gluten-free wheat bread alternatives. So here we have now, and you got to really, people really need to think about this is a sixteen billion dollar industry. You know, if we don't think that that kind of money is is affecting sure. how we think and decisions we make in the grocery store, we're kidding ourselves. It is a powerful force now, and the reality is that you know the, your ability to here's the important part: your ability to digest well is linked directly to your ability to detoxify well. You could get away taking wheat out of your diet, but that didn't solve the problem of rebooting and strengthening your ability to detoxify. We have 6 billion pounds of toxic chemicals dumped in the American environment every single year. You can't digest wheat and you're once we're able, what's gonna happen to the mercury on the organic vegetables that lace every vegetable that you eat that you can't wash off from the coal mine plumes? You can't digest it, you can't detoxify, it ends up in your fat cells and in your brain and that's exactly where they're seeing more and more mercury depositing is in your brain tissue. You may feel great for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but five, 10 years from now, if your ability to digest and detoxify well has been compromised and all you do is take certain foods out of your diet, you're setting yourself up for real serious problems down the road. When they took cholesterol out of our diet, that's been linked to obesity, to gallbladder disease, to diabetes, to um, 
uh, and depression and a breakdown of the digestive system. So, so, take- much of, so much of what we do to try to help ourselves actually is making things worse. I, I want to inter- interject because we've only got a couple minutes left. Sure. And I think it's important that we leave people with some guideline. I mean, the article is called Why, When, and How. Yeah. We've talked about why. We haven't really talked about when and how. So in, in the minute and a half we've got left, fill us in. Well, when you first of all, in my book, Eat Weed, I take you through a step-by-step process how to troubleshoot and reboot your digestive weaknesses so you know with whole foods and herbs, really simple, to get you back on track so you can break bread again in a natural way. Eating it seasonally, not every day, not in a processed form. And when you begin to start to buy bread again, you want to look at the ingredients of bread. All you need to make bread is wheat, salt, and water. So organic whole wheat, salt, water, and an organic starter. That's what your ingredients of your bread should say, nothing else. Mm. And if you can start doing that, you're talking about bread that'll get hard in a day or two versus stay squishy on a shelf for a month or two. And that is the kind of food we should demand. Whole foods that are made in a traditional way with whole grains that actually the science shows are actually incredibly beneficial for us, not the science that they've used to say that refined grains have certain you know, blood sugar related issues and therefore they cause Alzheimer's and therefore wheat belly and therefore wheat as a whole is bad for you. The science doesn't support that. And there's scientists that they, when they say ancient grains are different than modern grains, that science has been debunked. That is not good science. And I write about that in the book, Eat Wheat. Wow, okay, we are gonna have to leave it there, but uh, this has really been fascinating. Uh, I'm depressed <laughs> as a celiac person. I'm, I feel myself turning into an old-fashioned mercury thermometer as you're talking to me, but I'll have to figure out what to do about that. You can still strengthen your digestive system and support your immune system. We don't have to eat wheat, but you should still rebuild and reboot your digestion and make sure and troubleshoot it, make sure there's no weak links you haven't looked at. That's important for everybody. Well, I will take a look at that. Everyone should take a look at that. And I'm going to start exercising while I breathe through my nose. There you go. So thank you very much. Our guest today was Dr. John Duyard. His essay, Why, When, and How to Eat Wheat, is in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. And you can learn more about his work at his, at his website, lifespa.com. Dr. Duyard, thank you so much for spending time with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you very much, Robbie. Support for this show comes from 1440 Multiversity, a state-of-the-art learning destination in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. 1440 offers weekend and five-day programs in mindfulness, leadership, well-being, and more. Learn more at 1440.org. And as a side note, I will be at 1440 on August 18th, 19th, and 20th, leading a workshop on my book, The Sacred Art of Loving Kindness. I hope you can join me. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program director and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. 
part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.